Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today with the assembly and the gathering of the saints to worship you, to exalt you, to lift up your name in this place, to learn from your oracles, to learn today, to apply it to our life, us as believers, us as Christians, receiving your engrafted word, which is infallible, with its inerrant, and we take it today and we apply what is, what is taught here today through your word, through the revelation of the Son of God, the revelation of Jesus given to John, who writes down your wrath to come. Father, we thank you because we know that you have been propitiated and that your wrath has been removed from us. That we worship you and we thank you because your wrath has been removed from us. That we no longer, we no longer stand as enemies, but we stand at peace with you. At peace with you. And no matter what we go through in life, that the greatest thing that has ever happened to us was Jesus suffering and paying the penalty for us on the cross where your wrath and your love meet simultaneously and delivering us. We thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. Help me speak today without error. Lord, you get all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to continue to read. I'm going to read nine. Just follow along with me in your word here today. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, these people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two more woes are still to come. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode them, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire 
and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them, they wound. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. They did not repent of their murderers, of their sorceries, or of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Can I get an amen? amen. You, you are hearing the wrath of God. This is the, this is the letter that John writes, and it's a letter written to the church about the wrath of God. But as I'm teaching you here today, you are to take this letter symbolically. Symbolically, these symbols absolutely mean something. So today I'm going to discuss to you about the wrath of God. Now, listening to one of the great theologians, his name is R.C. Sproul. He was telling, I was listening to what he was saying. He's saying there's certain kinds of people in the world. And I want you to catch it, that the kinds of people that are in the world, there are those that are saved and they know that they're saved there's another kind of person that's in the world that's unsaved and they know they're unsaved then there's the other kind of person that he thinks he's saved but he's not saved now the problem with churches today is that they don't teach on the wrath of God culture today you want to hear about God and his holiness and his love and his righteousness and a lot of people don't understand when you read the Old Testament you will read the Old Testament about God and how God's character is and what he does and how he destroys those who are his enemies so some people will say that the God of the New Testament is far different from the God of the Old Testament but you can never be more wrong with that type of doctrine that type of theology because the greatest act of God's wrath was placed on his son in the New Testament because he sends God to die for God. He sends him to the cross to suffer in our place to pay our sin debt. Now the problem with churches in the American church here in the westernized culture that we live in is that all you have to do is make a profession of your faith, make a profession, and then you then possess something. But we know it's far different than just coming up and saying a prayer and say, well, I profess Jesus as my Lord, but you ain't living like Jesus is your Lord. Amen. See, you can profess it, but do you actually possess it? Amen. We can profess it and you can see that we are actually changed, redeemed people who live by the word of God Amen. because we are different. We are uncommon. We're not like everybody else. We don't do what everybody else does or live like everybody else does because we possess the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed on our foreheads with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is a symbolic meaning because we're not talking about some seal that's on my forehead. But you know that I'm sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit because I'm changed. I'm different. I no longer am who I used to be like I was in 1998. I'm far different. I'm saved, set free, and delivered, and I worship God because the wrath of God has been removed from me. But it was placed on his son at the cross. That's why we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. So this wrath that we're reading, the wrath of God in Revelation 8 and 9, you don't have to be a part of this wrath. You will not be a part of this wrath. 
And we worship him because that is gone. We're no longer enemies of God. Now we can talk about it. And we can say, well, God is a God of love. And yes, he is a God of love. He loves us so much that he sent his son in our place to pay our sin debt. But people say all the time, and you know that I never do this on Sunday, but I do it sometimes on uh, Bless the Block, and I will make this altar call. And at times I think it's okay to make the altar call, have someone come up from out there when we're evangelizing, we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come forth and make a declaration, a profession of faith. If the gospel moved you, you come up to the altar and you call out to Jesus in your own words. In your own words. And you call out to Christ in your own words, that I can't make you come up and say what I used to say is make you come up here and just, if you want to receive Christ today as your Lord and personal Savior, come on up here. You're going to make a profession of faith. It's what you should do, but you, but you can't prod someone to say it as, it's a mark, as a mark on my belt to say, I got that brother saved. Uh, he said the sinner's prayer. And because he said the sinner's prayer, he has the Holy Spirit and he goes off and he's changed. But then he goes off and he's still the same. That's why sometimes when you, when you preach the gospel, let the Lord do the work. Because when someone hears the gospel message, they will respond to that in a positive way or in a negative way. And so we talk about the wrath of God today. Let's go. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to speak about the wrath of God. This seal that's opened. Remember last week, there was a pause. It was an intermission. It was the explanation of John telling the readers... Who can stand? Well, we know that we are the ones that can stand because the wrath of God has been removed from us. We can stand. Verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. This is the assembly to battle. This is the battle. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense... Well, the prayers of the saints, meaning these are all the martyrs. These are all the martyrs who have been executed, who have been, who have been just destroyed, humiliated because of the name of the Lord. These are the ones that we read in Revelation earlier that cried out for their vengeance. They cry out to God, when, Lord, when, when, Lord, will we be vindicated? When, Lord? So these are the ones. So this, this, this outpouring, this outpouring of incense, it's the prayer of the saints Upon the, upon the earth, the wrath of God is about to begin. Verse 5, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. These are the martyrs throughout history. This is, the actually, this is actually a reference to the fifth seal that was opened in Revelation 6 and 9. Then you get, the, uh, you get a new depiction. Here in, in verse 12, in verse 6, Revelation 6, 12, now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet. There followed what? Hail and fire mixed with blood. These were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. You got the number four here. This is symbolic of the earth being destroyed. You have these seasons, you have these regions, you have the, four, the, uh, the earth, the four seasons, the four regions, the north, west, south, and the east. Here, the full counsel of God needs to be preached because of the wrath of God. And what you get here, and as, we, as you can kind of depict, because I know a lot of you have seen the Prince of Egypt movie here. And if you have been here the past couple of weeks, Jeremy has been playing the Prince of Egypt movie here like hour after hour over and over again. So what you have here are the images of the Exodus story. 
These are the images of the Exodus story. Watch this. Verse number six. Verse number eight, I'm sorry. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This is symbolic of a loss of huge mass of loss of life because of God's judgment. And so you have this, verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from water because it had been made bitter. So here you have a depiction of why I talked about when you profess something, if, if you can say Jesus is Lord. See, here today, and according to the, the times of Paul in the beginning of the church, the Jewish people couldn't say Jesus is Lord because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. So it's, it's hard for those words to come out of their mouth. You know how blasphemy, blasphemous it is for them to say that when they believe Yahweh is the one. So it's like, I can't say Jesus is Lord, but we can say Jesus is Lord here today. Yes. We can say that, but so can the heathen. So can the unbeliever. They can say Jesus is Lord too. But do we believe it and do we possess it? Do we possess the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, will it be bittersweet for these people? Will it be bitter like poison when they see the wrath of God happening to all those that had came to the altar? Wait a minute, you guys had a big outreach? And I came to the altar and I called out to the Lord and I said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I made that profession with my lips. Yeah, I didn't live like it. Um, you know, there was no change in me. But I did say that prayer a long time ago. And because I said that prayer, shouldn't I be saved? How bitter is the water to the truth when it's revealed? It's just like bitter. It's like wormwood. Wormwood was a, was a certain uh, ingredient, something that was bitter back in Jerusalem, back in, he, in the Hebrew language. It's something that was bitter. And when you are bitter, what happens when you are bitter? When you're upset and you're angry and you don't walk with forgiveness and you are just bitter all the time. You're just like poison in relationships. You're just like poisonous poisonous person with everything you do because you're so bitter you need to not be bitter you need to walk in forgiveness and in love because you possess the power of the Holy Spirit rather than be like wormwood which is nothing but bitterness if something has happened to you in the past let it go allow the Holy Spirit to take over your life in that area that you may not be bitter because if you're still carrying bitterness it's going to affect your next relationship and so this symbolic thing comes and it makes the water bitter and many people are bitter. And they've kept false hope and vain hopes. In verse 12 it says this, the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light may, might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the nights. This is Revelation 6.12 where we talked about the moon turning to blood. The sun being darkened. This is symbolic of God's long suffering removed. He is destroying his enemies. Wait a minute. God's a God of love. What do you mean he's destroying his enemies? Who are his enemies if God is a God of love? When you get an understanding of his holiness and how holy God is and how he will not have anything to do with sin... And he will not have anything to do with how Christ had to suffer in our place 
so that we would have access to God. He became our high priest so that we have access to God. And if you have access to go before God, to pray before God, it's because he, is, he sees Jesus before you. That Jesus gives you the access to go before a holy and righteous God. But God is holy that he would have, that sinners can't stand before him. They'll be killed. I want to show you this story because this is the story of, of the Exodus. These are the images you see of the Exodus story, especially when it comes to the locusts. You guys remember the locusts that attacked? And that they, they attack the vegetation. Here he tells them not to attack the vegetation. So you, hear, you see these images of the Exodus story here. But when God wanted to see Moses, and, and when Moses went before God to get the Ten Commandments, he desired to see his glory. He desired to see God. But God could not show him himself. He couldn't show himself to Moses because he knows if I show you to myself, you shall surely die. So what does he do? He says, Moses, go hide in the rock. There's a cleft there. Go hide yourself in that rock. And when I tell you to turn and look, you're going to see the back part of me as I walk by. So in order for us to get to God, we need the rock. We need to be in cleft in that rock in order for us to go before God so that his wrath has been removed, that we can go before God because Jesus now is that rock that surrounds us. Yes. That we are in the cleft of the rock that Jesus is covering us that we can stand before God and pray before God, talk to God, worship God because he becomes the rock for us. Let us move on. Verse 13, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice and it flew directly over, overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets and the three angels are about to blow. Chapter 9, this is the power of God. This is the loss of life and all these things are taking place. And because of all these things, all these judgments of God upon Sinners, upon those who reject the Lord, there is still no repentance. People still won't turn to God. Just like the Exodus story. They still, Pharaoh still didn't turn to God. Chapter 9. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. This is something that's in an entirely different direction now. This star falling from heaven. And he falls from heaven. He's kicked out of heaven. And he goes to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. This is the same story you can read in Exodus 10 and 12. Like the, oath, the, the, the judgments of God released upon the earth. And they're called to torment. Verse 5. They were allowed to torment them for five months but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days the people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die but death will flee from them. And when I read this, you see a lot of this happening with this type of judgment, the type of, the type of uh, deception that is going on in the world with Satan who has the key to the bottomless pit. See, he not only possesses people, but he oppresses people. 
And he causes you to contemplate death and suicide. If you have a plan in your life and that plan just seems to crumble and it's not working out for you and everything seems to be hitting you from all sides, you figure the easiest way to exit is to go ahead and commit suicide because the enemy is lying to you to cause you to take your own life simply because your plans have failed. But through it, God is showing you something and showing you something far greater that through the time that you feel low, there he is to pick you up. He will pick you up and bring you back. And he resurrects you and brings you back. He gives you a new life, a new life with purpose. You may be homeless, but it don't matter. God can provide for you. You may not have nothing to eat, but God can't provide for you. You may feel like your plans have failed and you wanted to go to this college or you wanted to go to that college or you wanted this job or you wanted that job and it just didn't work out and you feel like you need to quit, but you better not quit. Because God has a plan, but you have an evil one throughout the world who will try to deceive you and oppress you. Did you know as a Christian, you can be a possessor of the powerful Holy Spirit and you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, but the enemy has waged war against the church. He's waged war against you. And that's what you get in Revelation 1 to where we are now. This is the history of the church at war with Satan, at war with the enemy, to try to destroy you and ruin your life. You young people that are here today, God has an incredible plan for you. You know why? Because your mom and your dad are saved people. They're saved people bringing you to church to get you to have and hear the word of God that God will, his, oh my goodness, that the Lord will do something wonderful in your life. You are his crowning glory. Achieve your goals and your dreams, but do it for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. And if God through his preeminence and and his sovereignty calls you and has a plan for you to go into the ministry and to be used. Don't reject it, but embrace it. Embrace it. We got young people that need to change the high schools. Change your atmosphere. Pray with your friends because they took prayer out of the schools. You bring it back in. Because this spirit of suicide is all over America and all over the world. And you have kids today that are so cruel. They're so heartless. They're so callous that they use the internet to bully other people. You know how it was like when we were going to school, when we ran into bullies? We took care of our bullies. We fought our bullies. But they they bully you far different now. They bully you on the internet, on Facebook and Instagram and all this other stuff. Snappy chat and all that stuff. Putting stuff out there to humiliate you and to call you names and you feel like you can't do nothing about it because over 500 people saw it and are now calling you names. The enemy is at war against our young people. But you've got to know who your enemy is. That's why mom and dad have brought you to church. That's why you're here and you're knowing the truth of God's word that God's wrath is coming. Isn't it tough to say? We pray and we believe. We say, my kids will serve the Lord. I believe my kids will serve the Lord. I believe my son will pastor. I believe my kids will be preachers and teachers. I believe this. I will stand in the gap and pray and believe this for them. And then you believe this very thing and you stick with it and you believe it. And they go off and do something sideways. They go off and do something. What's going on? 
But that's part of the story. Watch God bring them back. That's just part of the story. They need to go through it. And then God shows up in a mighty way because they otherwise weren't going to come to God and God goes snatches them up and brings them back. You will serve me. Just like Paul had no choice. Verse 7, 9 and 7. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were like crowns of gold. Their faces like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. This is all symbolic of the type of judgment that's coming on the earth. This is not something you want to take literally. Because some other different pastors and preachers who preach eschatology, when they see this here, they tell you that they are some type of helicopters. Some type of military discoverance that will affect the earth. But you can rest assured this is the wrath of God either way. Now we can, we can, we can disagree on certain parts of our eschatology. But as long as we know these three things, everything is going to be alright. Number one, we believe Jesus is coming back. Yes. We believe Jesus is coming back. Number two, we don't know the day or the hour. And number three, you better all be ready. And that's all you need to know. Now we can try to talk about all these symbolic meanings of what they mean, but ultimately it means God's wrath is coming on his enemies. That's why it bugs me sometimes when we're reading this and I hear other people and they don't preach the wrath of God because everyone feels like God's a God of love and he's, and he's not going to destroy me. He's not going to place me in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But Jesus preached about hell more than he preached about heaven. Why? Because we don't want to believe that God is a God of wrath, but he is. That's why we worship him, because we have been saved from his wrath. But his wrath is coming. It's coming. And these judgments are here. And these judgments are here. I'm going to give you some points here. And then we're going to pray. And then we're going to have communion. And then we'll close. Don't let the root of bitterness affect your life. You can't be a Christian who treats salvation as an automatic thing. It's simply we won't teach that here. You can't just come up and profess with your mouth and say, I'm saved and that's it. And you go on living like you've been crazy before you got here. It's not that way. We don't teach it that way. We, we teach it so that we, you, you, will, you will know that you're saved. If you, know that you don't know that you're saved, how much do you love Jesus? How much does the Christian love Jesus? You will know it in their walk. How much do they love Jesus? You can't treat salvation as an automatic thing, and we won't teach that here. No root of bitterness ever to take place in your life. Number two, the wrath of God is necessary. It's necessary because what are we saved from? If we say we're saved, what are we saved from? You're saved from the wrath of God which is coming upon the entire earth and the judgments of God which are here. God hates that which is unholy. He hates it. 
And magnifying God's love is done at the cross. Is done at the cross. Salvation. I heard, I can't remember his name, but he said salvation is not a gift for the righteous, but salvation is a gift for the guilty. It's a gift for the guilty. We stand guilty before a holy and righteous God, but because of the work of Christ, we are declared not guilty. He pays our sin debt. No root of bitterness. The wrath of God is necessary. And number three, pray, pray that you are used to compel others to flee to Christ. Pray that you are used to help others flee to Christ because Jesus is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. We have been called to a life of nonconformity, not to conform. We are called to a life of nonconformity and not to conform. We are a part of the kingdom of God. Are we not, church? And this kingdom is invisible to the world. They can't see it. And the only way they can see this kingdom is visibly through you and I as his ambassadors that we belong to a kingdom that that does exist. This is an invisible kingdom that you and I can make visible. We're not to conform like the rest of the world. We're to be different. Different. We've been called to live a life of nonconformity. An uncommon life. A life that's different. A life that's expressed in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Let us pray. And then we will open the tables for you to come forth. And partake of the elements today. Pray with me, church.